Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here today with Eric Hayne of Red Sofa Literary and, you may have noticed, the amazing Print Run podcast, which is headed on Twitter. Very funny, very interesting, covers the important topics, and makes you laugh. So, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Eric, tell us about yourself. How did you get started in publishing, and how did you know you wanted to work in publishing? Sure. Um, so I, um, when I was in college, I did, I did the whole like English creative writing thing. Right. Um, and I was like a fiction writer and I couldn't think of any like jobs to be cause like fiction writer, like wasn't a job you could like go and apply for. So I was like, I'll just go do the next best thing. I'll go work in books. And so, um, I, from there, I just decided I wanted to be an editor and I didn't know anything about publishing at the time. Like I didn't know um, really what any job in the industry was other than being the book editor. Right. And I didn't even really have an understanding of what that was either. But like, so out of college, I just like packed my stuff up and went and crashed on a friend's couch in New York city and just like found as many informational interviews as I could. Right. And I just like wandered around Manhattan for a while and like took whatever um, whoever would come say hello to me. And eventually like Oxford university press let me in as an intern. And that was kind of that, but that was kind of my start interning editorially there. I love that. You know what? I'm smiling here because when you said that you just started crashing on people's couches, that's such a, such an entrepreneurial, you know, way to go about it. And, you know, you know, I can see that you're that person you just dive in. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you kind of have to be in publishing because there's not, it's not like the opportunities are just like, you know, blooming all around you all the time. You know, you kind of have to like figure out a way, um, yourself. So, um, it's, I think that's a common trait with a lot of people who end up really making it. I also love the image of going to apply for the job of fiction writer. Like, would you just show up with a portfolio and they'd read your entire book in the interview? How would that work? I feel like it's like a party trick, you know, like you just put it on like your name tag, fiction writer. (laughs) Or like a Halloween costume. Exactly. (laughs) So I was at actually, I was at a writer's conference um, over the weekend and someone who was a current college student, I think kind of had that idea. Right. And he like sat down during one of the pitch sessions across the table from me and he was like, well, I'm in college. My plan after I graduate is to be a fiction writer. And he started like walking me through his portfolio and stuff as though I was going to like hire him. And I said, man, I I think that, I think you might be missing something here, buddy. I think that, um, this is not quite how it works, but, um, if only at one point I was, I was that, um, sad boy. (laughs) (laughs) But we all were at some point. It's not like our industry is one that we all grew up knowing about. You know, it's not like, you know, kids aren't going to be like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a ballerina. I want to be a literary agent. You know, that's just not how that works. Yeah. I didn't even know that agent was a job coming out of uh, college, I sort of just thought that um, the only two things anyone could be was an editor or a writer. Like the idea that there was like an entire industry, which obviously of course there is that would like surround 
books and you know anything else um, was totally foreign to me, and I didn't really know anything. I was very I was very professional thinking, clearly as a you know early twenty year old. So one of the amazing things that Eric does is he records this podcast with Agent Laura Zatz called Print Run. And if you're not listening, you really should be. They manage somehow to make a beautiful, wonderful, smart episode every week. And um, you can find them pretty easily online, Print Run Podcast. On Twitter, they're a loon with a typewriter on its side. It's really cute. Um, But there's an episode that you should probably listen to. Well, so we're we're talking about the what felt like kind of a rush of um, sexual harassment and abuse claims in the children's, uh, I think specifically the children's publishing uh, world. Whether I think there was a um, sort of an illustrator and a direct, a creative director, and um, you know, it's just kind of it feels as though we're at the onset of what might be publishing's kind of me too moment. You know, we're kind of at the reckoning of, well, Hey, of course, you know, like any industry, ours is going to be one that, um, deals with, you know, power imbalances and sexual harassment and gendered, um, abuses and things like that. And, um, it's, you know, it's, it's time to have those conversations because they've gone on, unhad for too long in, in a world that I think, really kind of steeps itself in a lot of kind of male dominated imagery, you know, like you think of like the editor and the, you know, the high powered agent and all these things are very like, um, you know, there are archetypes that often get kind of tied to male power. And I think that, um, they have to, you know, we've got to kind of deal with that. And part of that is starting to have the conversations as, as they're necessary. Well, I do think that the good thing is that people are talking about it and then talking creates action and action creates change. And, you know, for the writers out there, I wouldn't want you to be afraid <laughs> to go to a conference or to go, you know, out in the industry um, that that this is being addressed. Yeah, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like it's not safe. I think if anything, everyone is really paying attention right now. If ever there were a group of people who were in the right place and the right time and the right industry to do anything about this. It's us and it's now. And I think we should feel really hopeful. I think, I think that's a great point. Let's switch to a happier topic. Eric, what do you do for fun? Oh boy. Um, so I guess with all my spare time, I read manuscripts. Um, but no, I mean, other than that, I mean, I, let's see, I play tennis a lot. That was, that's a big thing that I do. And, I wander around the frozen lakes out here in the cold tundra. Um, <laughs> I just, I just picked up cross country skiing Ooh. actually. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really, really bad at it. So is the thing. And so I kind of just like scoot along and wait, um, how you are know, you, how can you be bad at cross country skiing? Well, I don't know. So this is the thing, right? Is I don't know how to stop. Oh, you get, you get going, you know, you get kind of, you get a little rhythm and suddenly you're like moving. It's like, I have no idea how to slow down. So like, if I have to like, you know, make a turn or, you know, the hill kind of hits and you start going a little bit too fast, I'm, I'm done for. I'm like, hopefully like, hopefully it levels out at the bottom of the hill. Cause otherwise like I, Eric, you just hit a pizza. It's pizza French fries. Exactly. I know. I, well, that's the thing is I try like, cause I'm from Colorado. Right. And so like, we know how to like downhill ski. Like I've done that all my life, but for whatever reason, I can't make it work on these things. And, um, the one thing I'm seeing out here that I think I need to pick up is people like will put a harness around their dog and just get dragged around on their skis. And that seems like the real hobby for me. Like that's going to be the one that I pick up. 
Do you have a sled dog? I don't, but I'm definitely going to get one. They're in high demand out here. <laughs> Eric in New Hampshire and, you know, folks at home, don't do this, but you can get a, your downhill skis in a snowmobile mm. and you can like, you know, like water snow ski. Yeah. That's, that's good fun. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's a little dangerous. I was just going to say, it sounds like there's like all sorts of possibility for accident there, but yeah. it sounds really fun. That sounds like the people who get a boat on a frozen lake and then put up the sails and go like 50 miles an hour and somehow don't fly off. <laughs> yeah. So what would you do in an alternative universe with no publishing? Oof. Um, I think that I would probably, I, I guess there's a couple answers. I mean, I it probably something equally, um, you know, professionally frustrating in that, you know, an industry that is often like reckoning with itself, I'd probably be a classicist. Um, <laughs> I really, I took a, I did a ton of uh, Greek and Latin in college and I really loved it. And I spent a lot of time trying to decide if I wanted to, um, you know, go to school beyond undergrad for that. And, um, you know, and it, so that's all that stuff has always interested me. So I guess it probably would be something in academia like that, some sort of humanities based, um, you know, path of study. So what's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry? I would say that maybe the biggest thing is I've become way more open minded about what serious writing means. Mm. Like I kind of, you know, came in thinking like, um, you know, the only books that were worthwhile were the ones for, you know, serious adults, you know, who were either reading something academic or were reading some piece of, you know, self-proclaimed, you know, highbrow fiction. And what I've learned since nearly every day in this industry, because you can't go a day without experiencing this, is that the smartest, sharpest people, you know, in it, and including the writers are the ones working in other, you know, genres are the, uh, the YA authors are the, you know, genre fiction writers are the, you know, like we had a, you know, conversation with Carly Sylvia, you know, it's the romance editors. It's, um, it's people in a lot of genres that I hadn't really read before. And I hadn't really, you know, spent much time thinking critically about. And so I think the one thing that publishing has really um, changed my mind about is, um, like what a, serious, rigorous book is, um, it can come from anywhere. And I think that that's been really kind of cool to see. And it's certainly made me think about the sorts of things I want to, you know, um, have on my list and the sorts of writers I want to work with. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's great to kind of have had my, uh, horizons forcibly broadened, you know, it's also neat to me that, you know, how there are multiple intelligences in people. Yeah. There are so many ways that a book can be smart. Yeah. And it just like, especially when a book has great emotional intelligence and has something else totally different going on, like, you know, it's a horror novel, but it's so smart emotionally, you know, like that always works for me. I love yeah. that. No, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I think that I'm thinking of, you know, the conferences that I've been to that have all the genres and how you might have, and I think that was so important for writers to hear because you might have someone, a contemporary fiction, you know, might look the, look down their nose at another writer, but just hearing that, like, I feel like that, that this is the type of thing that writers should put in their back pockets and just like kind of pull out like, oh no, oh no, you don't. <laughs> Eric Hayne said, you know, we could get that on a mug too. <laughs> Second, yeah, second mug of the collection. I'm actually impressed how many people have Academy mugs now. Like every time I get that little thing from Society Six, I'm like, wow, okay. A lot of people are drinking coffee out of our mug right now. 
Eric, what is your aha moment in publishing where everything came together? Like, wah, perfect. You know, I guess, you know, the closest thing, the closest thing maybe I can think of is when I, when I moved out here to Minnesota from New York, I had been in New York for three years. I was kind of burnt out. Right. And I had come to the Midwest mostly to, to freelance at it. Right. I was kind of planning on just being an independent uh, contractor for the foreseeable future. And it was kind of, I was kind of getting that going. And I, I met, um, I met my boss, uh, Don, just like at a bar, we was, we had agreed to like get a beer and like, we got talking and like, suddenly it kind of became clear that, you know, maybe, you know, the perfect thing to add to my, you know, publishing life out here would be to start agenting and doing things like that. And, um, it really, at the time it was like, it was just like the perfect thing to have happen. Like just have this, um, you know, obviously engaging, intelligent person, like say that they, you know, believed in your taste right at the moment when you thought you were kind of done working for, um, either a house or an agency or kind of doing the list building stuff that I really loved in house. And so I always kind of think of that moment when, um, uh, Don Frederick, my boss at Red Sofa was kind of like, Hey, you know, we, we would really love to have someone like you on board. And it just felt like the perfect kind of, like if I think about like a break that happened to me in my career, like, you know, kind of a moment that felt really um, kind of just almost cosmic, I would probably say that one. And Don's really cool too. So I can totally picture that being not only a life-changing conversation, but yeah. a really fun conversation too. No, she really is. She, I mean, it, um, she's incredibly friendly, you know, right out of the gate, you know, so it was kind of like the vibe was good right away. But she's also one of those people who like, if I knew nothing about publishing and I met her, I'd be like, okay, this industry is much cooler than I give it credit for. Oh, abs- absolutely. Like she's, um, you know, she's kind of all over the place with her tastes and she's, you know, someone who's incredibly personable and, you know, has all these cool tattoos and stuff. And, you know, you kind of yeah, get the vibe. I like the kitty paw yeah. prints on her arm. Right, I like yeah. this. <laughs> she's got a joy division one too, that she, she's pretty proud of, um, that I know she's, um, always trying to tell people about. So, you know, look out for that one next time you see her. <laughs> Hi Don. I hope, I hope my boss doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> What do you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk? I wish that they knew that everything wasn't so personal sometimes. Like sometimes I feel like people, you know, whether it's, um, you know, rejection or whether it's a piece of advice about something that maybe comes off a little bit too curt because we're all overworked and everything. Like, I don't think that anyone is sitting on their, our side of the desk and like actively trying to figure out how to cause writers pain, you know? Oh, and, no. <laughs> and I think that sometimes there's that perception. I think that sometimes that, you know, we, I know that i get, I get a lot of, um, you know, responses to things that, you know, kind of wonder how come we can't have, you know, more feedback or how come we can't mm-hmm. do any of these things. And the answer isn't, you know, sinister and it's not meant to be exclusionary. It's just that, um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're as busy as they are at their jobs, you know? And, um, so I guess like maybe the thing that I wish that, um, writers knew about our side is that like your query is getting read. It is being read fairly and carefully. And, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a process designed for you to, to fail at, you know, it's, it's this process that's designed to like find you the right fit. And I think that, when you start to think about it like that a little bit more, it becomes less of a, 
like a giant gate you have to cross or um, some sort of exclusionary thing that you'll never figure out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess just like remember the humanity to all of it, you know, like no one is trying to be um, rude or careless or anything like that. Yeah, I think if you take any comment you receive and dial it several notches nicer and maybe double the length and then, (laughs) you know, add a few more details about things you like, that's probably what we're actually feeling versus we only had time to be like, dialogue isn't as strong as narration. Like, you know, send me your next thing. Um, Absolutely. But we're not trying to be like one of those judges on The Voice or something like that. Um, I know it probably feels like we're judging your soul, but we're not judging your soul and rejecting it. We're looking at you, the product, not you, and seeing if that's something that uh, can fit in with us right now. Well, and and that's the thing is like, I turned down lots of things that maybe under other circumstances I would have liked, right? You know, like, oh, I've already got a book like this on my list and I'm, already, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with one, let alone, you know, potentially two of them. Or, you know, this one isn't quite right for us right now. Or, you know, like, there's lots of reasons that um, a no comes in that has nothing to do with whether or not your book is good, you know? Yeah, I say and, no to things that I think are viable all the time. Yeah, me too. You know, I'm sitting here listening to you guys and... I, I don't have much experience on online dating except for my friends or their apps, but it, it really is like that. It's It sounds to me that you guys are like, you just keep swiping and swiping and swiping yep. until you find the thing that really speaks to you. And this is a game of getting through numbers and people need to understand that. And, you know, if your query isn't being seen in the right way, then you need to work on that query. I mean, it's just like the bottom line, you know, it's, it's, you have to, you have to make sure that you're getting your point across. And if you're not getting those hits too, it, you might just need some work. Kind of to yeah. extend your metaphor, like even if someone absolutely gorgeous and brilliant takes a horrible first picture where they look like a zombie, <laughs> that's kind of what happens if you have a bad query for a great project. Right. But yeah. it's not personal. It's just like, doom, just go to the next, you know? And I, well, I was just thinking of the importance of just listening as much as you can to, um, you know, like the 10 queries podcast we have. And Eric, I heard you had one too, um, that John Cusack did. And, um, and but just hearing how they go through it, they go through it really carefully. It's important that you understand as the writer, you know, what it, you know, just to project to, on the other person as well, that it's not personal. So, Eric, if you had Google-level funding and the ability and encouragement to spend 20% of your time making something, it doesn't have to be physical product, it can be a program or digital thing, what would you make? I would make, and this is, you know, I mean, I, I was kind of, you know, I, I think everyone's always got something that they would, um, you know, think of like this. I mean, I guess, like, I would make some sort of organization that, meant that was kind of designed around bridging what feels like a really stupid gap between, um, you know, the industry and the talent that enters the industry through writing, you know, like I would want to do, I don't know, like we, you know, we've got like the loft literary center out here, you know, in Minneapolis. And I think, man, it would be so cool to like start something like that or flesh that out in a way that, you know, could have all these other resources. You know, I think about like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if like, Um, we had the sort of, you know, Silicon Valley level enthusiasm and funding for just like writing resources, you know, and, and, 
um, you know, just like doing things that really designed, um, you know, almost maybe, maybe the way to put it is this way. I would create a situation where someone could, you know, come out of college and be a fiction writer, you know, and have that be something that, um, you know, was like a viable thing that someone could spend time doing. Because I think that, you know, one of the weird realities of our, you know, life and our world is that, you know, art is the thing you do when you're finished doing all your other obligations, you know, for the vast majority of the people who do it. And, you know, yeah, there's like grants and fellowships and, you know, grad programs and things like that, but it all feels so like that, even that still feels like a degree removed from, from what it should be. You know, I would want like just a place, you know, a design, a place that just like have the resources to just foster the people who otherwise aren't able to write their books, you know, because one thing that I really, really think goes untalked about in publishing is how, um, just the raw opportunities, um, are just totally not there for so many people we'd want to hear from. Right. And, um, you know, coming up with some sort of like, you know, if you want to use like a tech, you know, Google term, like an incubator, you know, for just people to come in and make and, you know, write things down and, you know, produce creative work. Um, that would be like, that's what gets me kind of fired up or, and I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it's a, you know, sort of an agency or if it's a, you know, literary center or if it's a, um, some sort of grant program, you know, some sort of like funding project that like finds and identifies people who, um, you know, might otherwise not get the chance to, you know, spend time, you know, with their art because we've all been conditioned to believe that it's superfluous or it's the thing that, you know, should only happen after you're done doing the thing that, you know, lets you buy groceries. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that that's the problem I want solved when it comes to, um, like who gets to write and, and why, I guess I, I think a lot about that. I'm in love with it. <laughs> we should do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I know I wish it's, and it's, I think that's the thing is like anyone who's really, um, really interested in the success of this industry should really be kind of thinking about broadening who is allowed to participate in it, especially on the talent side. Yeah. I see geniuses all the time that just need that as, as a teacher that just need someone to just tell them to write in the space to write. That's all they need. I'm just thinking aloud about it now. Like, uh, uh, cooperative workspaces, you know, that keep popping up. Like what if those were kind of geared more specifically around like, you know, writing and making sure that people were kind of able to find the creative community that they needed. Cause it's such an isolating field as well. You know, well, I would give a shout out to the writing barn in Boston, Massachusetts. I, you know, the, we do have the telling room here in Maine. I think there are some of those things that would be a cool thing to archive, um, Jessica somewhere. And I know we, we have the illustrate illustration Institute that Scott Nash created here. Um, so, you know, we are starting, but how we as artists can make that conversation bigger and better, especially in places where, you know, the economics don't really work around it would be just amazing. And Silicon Valley, if you're hearing, you can just write us a check now. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that all the time, though, like what our industry would be like if we were as well funded as Silicon Valley. Yeah. And I think that it's you know, the reason that we're not is because it was just not, you know, it's just not viewed as, you know, as essential of a thing. It's not viewed as the, as lucrative of an endeavor and maybe in, you know, the raw, you know, capitalistic terms we're meant to think about industries. It's not, but that calculus is messed up. If, 
book publishing and the artist community is something that is constantly exists on the fringe of your society. Like that is like, that's a fundamental wrong. I think that needs writing, writing and writing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pun very much intended. So Eric, if you were a superhero, what powers would you have? The one that I always think about is like time stuff. Like, you know, if you could like slow down time or like speed it up, that would be the thing that I would want to be able to do. Like being able to just kind of really, you know, control how long things took or how long you experienced a given moment. You know, I think that would be kind of the thing that I would want to be able to do. Wait, but what would you speed up? The time I have to wait behind this other dude at Chipotle, like the, <laughs> the time I have to, um, <laughs> um, you know, anything. Um, and then you could slow down for the, I don't know, the bits of life that aren't, you know, waiting in line, I guess. <laughs> like a great meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the Calvin and Hobbes when he has like 12 Calvins and he assigns them all different things to do. Yeah. I would love to have 12 of me. And like, <laughs> But it begs the question, like, what do you actually want to be there for? Yeah, exactly. Like what else? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is a good question. I don't know. Like if you could actually do it, though, what would you end up wanting to, you know, spend the time on? And I guess like um, for me, like just speaking specifically work wise, I would do nothing but edit all day, you know, like that's the thing that I really like doing. And then all this other stuff I would have alternate Eric go off and do. <laughs> who who would get to wear your favorite pants though? The editor, Ooh, man. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely me. Um, because the favorite, usually the pants that I wear are these like plaid flannel ones, you know, because the most important thing to know about me is I'm a professional. <laughs> so I, I get dressed every day like that. Um, but, um, yeah, no, that would, that would definitely be how I, how I would handle such an arrangement. Mm, that'd be fun. That's a new, we haven't heard that before. That was an original. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, okay. This is the big one. What's your number one tip for writers? This is how I would put it. You don't have to talk to others about your book until you want to. Mm. Is maybe how I would put it. Mm. There's, we're in kind of this era where there's so much, comparison going on. There's, it's so easy to talk to other writers online or elsewhere about your work. And that's obviously, you know, nine times out of 10, that's a really good thing, but it also kind of serves to, you know, take you out of the kind of deep creative headspace you need sometimes to create what it is you're trying to create, or it makes you can, you can start to feel kind of self-defeated if all you're doing all day is like digesting other people's writing accomplishments, you know, how it can sometimes feel like online, like, so my number one tip is like, understand that you don't have to participate in the kind of interactive and comparative parts of the writing and publishing world until you're ready and until you actually want to. And you're like, and you're not missing anything when you're not, you know? I also think sometimes talking about something creative, especially in the new stages can kind of let some of that creative energy escape and you don't really yeah. want to do that. Yeah. And plus it lets in, it lets in voices that aren't yours, you know, it's, and I think at least at first, it's really important, um, to just make some, to make something yours before you let it be someone else's. If it's, if it's a writing project, you know, and obviously I, you know, the editing and the reading phases, you know, where you show it to others are absolutely essential to, um, producing any good manuscript, but, um, it's gotta be yours first. And the only way that can happen is if you kind of guard your interior creative life a little bit. 
Very important. So, Eric, where can people find you online? Well, I'm at uh, redsofaliterary.com if you're looking for me as an agent. I'm otherwise... On Twitter, I am at Eric Hain, E-R-I-K-H-A-N-E. And, of course, you can find us at Print Run Podcast. Um, We are online, and we have um, new episodes every Tuesday. If you're into this show, you'd probably like us, too. I know we share a lot of listeners. So, um, yeah, that's where you can find us. But uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you for joining us. I have to ask before we go, are you usually the book bird? Oh, it's 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 me. Yeah, no, it's always me. <laughs> okay, good. I, it is I, the book bird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that thing is great because, like, sometimes I'll be on like my you know real Twitter and I'll be like getting mad at the like it's a lot of like news and politics and stuff and right and then I'll like flip over to the to the bird where it's all like fun publishing people and I it's like a lot more therapeutic. It's a great bird. Thank you. We're glad that you're there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.